A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here at Talk Radio, the world headquarters, of course, of common sense. We are nearly at the end of another week and we are one more week closer to Christmas. What does this mean? Guess what? We're all still here, and so are all the things we might want to buy. The supply chain madness goes on unabated around us, of course. There are warnings of toy shortages. I mean, just imagine having to have your children disappointed at Christmas. However, would they recover from that? There is talk of a DVLA strike, though how any of us will tell the difference is anybody's guess. They haven't been doing much work since about 2019, have they? One piece of good news is that Sajid Javid has been listening to Talk Radio because he's now issuing rules that will name and shame doctors who continually refuse to see patients face-to-face. Despite what the medical professions say, there are still plenty of GPs not doing their jobs properly, and I'm getting sick to death of hearing them complaining about how they should be above criticism, just because they're all health workers. I mean, they keep complaining, oh, we're always under attack. Why are people being so horrible to us? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the NHS isn't working very well. That's why. Let's hear your stories of dealing with doctors and GP surgeries today, because there are always lots of very good ones that come in from you, the good people of the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. 03444 Helen Dale joins us today as well with her take on the COVID report that came out a couple of days ago and she'll bring us the latest news from Australia since Sydney opened up this week. Plus I'll be telling you why Prince William has got it right on the space race. It's time these wealthy entrepreneurs and billionaires pulled their horns in. They and William Shatner are just showing off, aren't they? What is the point of it all? 03444991000. Oh, and can anybody please tell me whether... Labour MP Claudia Webb is going to be either kicked out of the Labour Party anytime soon uh, or in fact kicked out of the House of Commons. She's been found guilty of threatening to throw acid over another woman and she's now facing jail. What on earth is she still doing? Employed by the public purse. 03444991000. And as if all that isn't enough, we're also joined by former President Trump's aide Sebastian Gorka with news from the White House. Oh yeah, Vice President Kamala Harris has finally said something uh, and it's not very clever. And in fact, it's complete cobbler. She's basically blaming Europeans for colonising America and killing off the indigenous tribes. Right then, 03444991000. Because it's Thursday, it's time for the Thursday Club. Today in the company of Dawn Davis from the Whiskey Exchange. So that should all be a bit of fun as well. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest great radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
Now, there's plenty to talk about this morning. Plenty of doom and gloom being spread, of course, again, uh, by an awful lot uh, of people in the media. Not us, of course, because here at Talk Radio, we tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But let's get some help with that uh, and talk to Bill Wigan, Conservative MP for North Herefordshire. Bill, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Lovely to be on your show. Thank you for inviting me. Not at all. Thank you so much for, for, for being on. I mean, I, I, I don't know whether you're like me, um, but this ridiculous kind of relentless warning system that we seem to have, that we're going to run out of lorries and then we're going to run out of pigs, we're going to run out of blankets, we're going to run out of toilet paper, we're going to run out of toys for Christmas. I mean, when is it going to end? Because I don't really see, when I walk around and I see shops every single day, I don't see any empty shelves anywhere, do you? Well, I think the thing that really galled me was the people complaining about uh, returning the universal credit to its original levels. And then we have all these jobs and employers crying out for the great people of our country to come back to work. Mm. So I think I think we really do need to uh, stop the panicking. Certainly the panic buying just hurt good people who needed to get to work because they couldn't get any petrol. There was no shortage. It's the same is true with gas. But, you know, if we rely on Russia and countries like that for gas, we are going to be messed about. That is one of their strategic aims. And I remember the fracking debate. Yes. And and I was a supporter of fracking. And I think that little pigeon has come home to roost because if we'd been able to frack, we would now um, not have the uh, gas spikes or the lack of control over the price of gas that we're suffering from at the moment. Well, that's right, because America has now become self-sufficient because of fracking, uh, and we could be self-sufficient uh, by the same means, and we could have enough gas then to last us for sort of two, three hundred years, and we could store it as well, which is what is, is more or less happening uh, in, in most of Europe, and that's why in Europe the prices haven't gone through the roof. Well, they are still struggling because they buy their gas from Russia. But uh, I think the, the point you're making about actually having some control over the price because we have natural resources here is really important. And it's a, it's a strategic advantage that we shouldn't be throwing away. And we're seeing this again and again. Uh, I meant, You mentioned earlier the DVLA strike, and that is one of the reasons, and certainly from my post bag, one of the problems people have been having in actually getting their DVLA uh, licensing process put right. So if you if you have medical certificates, anything that has to go through the DVLA mm. hasn't been. And the fact they've been on strike on a going on strike, you know, it's a ridiculous well, situation. My, my immediate reaction when I saw that headline this morning, Bill, was how are you going to tell they're on strike? They haven't been doing anything for, for months. I suppose you may have seen my written questions complaining about their lack of response yes. and they asked me what colour envelope I'd written to them in Deary so me. I, I wrote back saying well, what's your preferred yeah. colour of envelope and then you might reply to our well I mean I've got but... some terrible horror stories from people who have been telling, talking to me about you know waiting months and months and months and uh, getting finally getting a letter saying well you're afraid you'll have to reapply because now the time uh, the time frame has passed and then they send another thing back and it's just unbelievable I'll tell you what what else is apparently going badly wrong is the passport office as well where nobody seemingly knows where uh, they're, when they're going to get back to normal because none of these people are actually at work are they well, the, the reality is once the vaccination program gave us all two jabs, uh, it really was a time to return to normal. We've got the same problem in the House of Commons with um, a very enthusiastic COVID rule enforcement. And I think it's the civil service broadly, not everybody, of course, 
who have uh, embraced the opportunity to do a lot less due to COVID. Mm. Whilst you see in business and, and in most sector, people working extremely hard and have been throughout the, the entire uh, pandemic. Mm. It really is quite an extraordinary contrast, isn't it? Because it seems that Boris and the government are unable to, for whatever reason, order these people back to work. Why is that? Well, I think they're going to have to get a grip sooner or later. I mean, if they're on strike, that obviously falls into different rules to simply a business as usual. Yeah. But it, it, it is it is one of the, the the real problems of government is making sure that it actually does what it's supposed to do. Mm. And, uh, you know, we always blame the elected politicians, but this is quite clear that this is actually about the civil service. Right, exactly. I mean, can you actually go on strike from home? I mean, is that something? Will there be picket lines, <laughs> virtual picket lines on Zoom organised? I mean, how will they do it? Well, I, I think uh, from from a end user's point of view, the net result is the same. You know, you want your driving license, you want your passport, right. you pay for this, and you expect it to happen, and and you have every right to do so. And uh, I know that I shall be raising this with colleagues when I get back to Westminster next week, because there's a lot of this going on, and it's just not good enough. No, and it really does seem as though the time has come for us to return completely to normal. You know, let's get Absolutely. on with life. Let's get on with what we do best, which is firing up the economy. You know, I mean, there's no, as I say, shortage of anything that I can see knocking around. People seem to have a reasonable amount of money to spend, despite uh, various problems with, you know, inflation and prices going up and all of that. And I mean, the energy bills are obviously going to be a problem. But I keep saying to people, you know, just wait and see. You know, if you're getting a demand from some energy company saying that you must now pay uh, an extra £100 a month into your direct debit, just say no. You know, we'll do what we do for a while and we'll see where that goes. A hunt around for better pricing. I think that when when the wholesale prices do go up, those do inevitably get passed on to the customers. It's quite good that we know about it coming down the track. It is part of the inflationary pressures that the, the economy is going to face. And I think we need to be getting ready for that because post-pandemic, the world is about to lift. And thanks to Brexit, we are going to be at the crest of that wave. And uh, we need to maximise every opportunity and not miss the boat by going on strike or messing about or not providing the papers that people need. No, absolutely right. And speaking of Brexit, I mean, obviously, uh, there's been a lot of noise and thunder uh, uh, clapping around this morning. Various people from the Irish government, lots of Irish MEPs have got lots to say about how England and the UK government uh, have been, uh, shall we say, economical with the truth uh, that they've been in some ways, um, you know, shall we say, acting not exactly in good faith over the Northern Ireland Protocol. What's your take on all of that? Well, I think with all these things, you have to look at it from the point of view of the people who actually live in Northern Ireland. And there are some very, very strong feelings. And we've lived through the troubles and, and the peace process and the success that that's been. And, and it always, I find it extraordinary when people start telling us, particularly from America or from other countries, how to manage that peace process. You know, John Major started it. Tony Blair played a huge role in making sure that the violence stopped. Yeah. And, and maintaining the Belfast uh, uh, agreement is really critical. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, you can't allow the EU to bring back that sort of problem. Mm. Uh, and, and so I think the government's been doing the right thing. I think Lord Frost has, has put a very sensible uh, approach uh, and argument to the EU and I think that they are not well, they're not stupid that it's in everybody's interest that peace is maintained and it's in everyone's interest that the borders work 
you know, we aren't interested in sending faulty goods into the EU, and they need to be protected from that, just as we shouldn't be told what sausages we can sell in Northern Ireland. It's it's about time we had another dose of Mike Graham-style common sense. <laughs> well, exactly. That's what we need. Well, I think that's absolutely right, because self-determination is what everybody wants, surely. And the, the problem with the EU is that that's the last thing they want anyone to have. They hate countries <laughs> having self-determination. They want everyone to do what they want. Well, that, that's okay, providing what they want is, is a peaceful and sensible solution. But if they upset one side or the other in Northern Ireland, it can go wrong. And I, I'm, I'm not sure it will, but, but that's not what this is all about. We've, we've got to have a... These are our friends and neighbours. You know, we've got to have a sensible working relationship with them and, and not allow Irish politicians to sound off for the benefit of their voters. No, quite. Um, meanwhile, there's our other friends and neighbours, the French, who are plotting once again to cut off Jersey from uh, their power supply and, and, and raid our fish. Yes, and this is, this is um, sort of the last chance opportunism. Uh, a long time ago, I was the, um, the shadow fisheries minister and I went to the European Union and to meet the European mm. Commissioner and asked him what the problem with fishing was, because at that time we were, I was arguing very strongly for the end of the discarding uh, process yeah. where, where dead fish were thrown back in. And he said, the problem is the French, yeah. always the French, because yeah. they fish in the Mediterranean and on the Atlantic side, and they have a huge industry and they are extremely aggressive. Mm. And uh, I think that's true for most European problems. Yes, I think that's right. But I mean, again, it's not as if they haven't got enough licenses because I was talking to Ben Habib about this yesterday and they've got loads of licenses. They're just complaining because they haven't got as many as they asked for. Yes. So, uh, there's a bit of a spoilt child attitude going on there. Yeah. And I think that, you know, France is a wonderful country. And when they, I think Macron is whipping it up to some extent to to um, to try and help his electoral uh, opportunities, but I think uh, I think it's unlikely to be successful. No, I think that's absolutely right. Let's move on. You were talking about getting back with your colleagues. I presume next week is the first uh, day back uh, on Monday uh, for Parliament. What about this ridiculous woman, Claudia Webb, who has now been found guilty uh, of threatening to throw acid uh, in the face? of one of her love rivals and send naked photographs of the woman to her family. How on earth is she only suspended by the Labour Party? I don't think they've actually chucked her out yet. And how is she still taking public money as an MP? I think the bit you um, need to know about Claudia Webb was that she was... Uh, she's she's deeply embedded in the Labour Party. She was mm. a councillor in Islington. She was a member of the Labour's ruling National Executive Committee... She was a political advisor to Ken Livingstone right. when he was mayor, and she worked. I think uh, she she's taken over Keith Vaz's seat. Look, it's it's very difficult to comment on a court case, which I, I, I to be well, honest, she's I been found guilty followed. though. Yeah, but I, I I it looks to me as though it's the sentencing that will determine what the rules are on what she or can or cannot. Do right, um, but what but is the I, I rule think... in the House of Commons then? Because I know that in the House of Lords, it's very difficult to kick anybody out, even if they've got a criminal conviction. But I thought if you had a criminal conviction of a serious nature in in the Commons, that was a problem. Well, you were absolutely right, as always, Mike. Thank but you. it is the length of the sentence that determines whether or not there's a, a recall opportunity for yes. the voters of of Leicester East to say that they want her to go. I, I hope that they will, because you know. These sort of domestic disputes are always difficult to judge, but but the the threats that seem to have been made are, are particularly unpleasant. Yes, and, they really um, are. If I was a Labour MP, I'd be very upset that that perhaps the party haven't been tougher on mm. her. 
but but also when you see how embedded she is in the Labour Party, I think it says a great deal about the problems they've got that this has got to the stage it has yes. without them acting. Yes. You know, this is one of their own dearest and nearest, and and her behaviour is is well, it just defies belief, doesn't it? Well, it, it really does. And I mean, I, I I take your point of how embedded she is because I'm seeing from the court report that the court heard character references uh, for her from Jeremy Corbyn, John McDonnell, and Diane Abbott. <laughs> yeah, I mean, great, well, nice she's, friends, she's, eh? Yeah, well, you know, they, they, individually they they're all they're all um, they can be very charming. But the point is that uh, that this is this is a much deeper problem than just Claudia Webb. This is Labour's fight for its for its soul, and its soul will determine whether it ever becomes electable again. Yes, and from my point of view as a Conservative, obviously. I'm, I'm a bit more relaxed about that. But as a British citizen, I want a moderate, sensible, uh, practical uh, opposition so that the government is is not allowed to deviate or pander to this uh, left-wing nonsense. Yes. You know, we've got to make sure that should a, a Conservative government ever lose an election, we don't get a communist, extremist, left-wing bunch of lunatics taking mm. over. And, and until the Labour Party sort that out, I think they will remain unelectable. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Stay with us, Bill, if you would, for a moment longer, because we've got a couple of other things to ask you about. Uh, we are talking, of course, uh, to Bill Wiggin, Conservative MP for North Herefordshire. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Delighted to say we're joined this morning by Bill Wiggin, Conservative MP for North Herefordshire, talking an awful lot of common sense, Bill, so so well done to you for that. Uh, let's talk a bit about the COVID report that came out the other day. Um, doesn't look as though they have got much good to say about what the government did, um, but my conclusion from it, really, was not so much that they should have done everything a lot earlier, but that some of the things they did they shouldn't have done at all, like the lockdown, possibly. The problem, the problem with hindsight is that it's um, it's much easier. Yes. And Jeremy, um, I think is uh, he's you know he's a, he's a good committee chairman, but Maybe I think you call it hunt sight. <laughs> That's very good. But <laughs> but at the end of the day, I I don't think the government knew with the pandemic what it was dealing with. Right. And it's like a lot of these things, even the Claudia Webb story we talked on earlier where you don't know exactly what the situation was at the time and you rely on what we've read in court or, or what we've read in, in Jeremy's report uh, to, to sort of reframe. But we were all there two years ago. Yeah. I was lying in bed while the Prime Minister was being carted off to intensive care, both of us with COVID-19. Right. I didn't know how long it was going to be before I went into intensive care. We got infected on the same day and happily I got better. And, and in the end, so did he. Yeah. But but the bottom line was we really didn't know. And and so when you're going back through history and saying, ah, you shouldn't have done that. Mm. Well, fine. Did you say so at the time? Yes. Because I didn't hear it from most of them then. I mean, and, I think uh, what I we would, would have say... listened. There yeah, was no, no question I, about I, that. I think I think certainly you didn't hear it from um, from Jeremy Hunt. You certainly didn't hear it from Keir Starmer, who only seemed <laughs> to ever have one gear, which was well. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing because I agree with it. But you should have done it yesterday. Um, there certainly was uh, a lot of voices here on talk radio, though, talking about the economy and how important the economy was and how the uh, the lockdown 
perhaps should not have gone on as long as it did. And certainly other lockdowns that took place, like the one in November, you know, which didn't apparently have any effect whatsoever, but, but put an awful lot of people out of business. Um, you know, I think they could have listened to a bit more of that. And, and I mean, the one bit that I do think is right uh, is that they were guilty of listening to this kind of groupthink from these scientific advisors. And I, I'd like to, to, to ask you to try and put this case to the government and to the cabinet when you see them, which is that, you know, can they give us a, a, an assertion and a, and a promise that they will be less likely now to follow some of the advice from these people? Well, the trouble is, I faced the same dilemma um, every time there was a vote on, on extending the restrictions. Yeah. And um, we were told, no, you've, you've got to vote for this because another wave is, is coming. Yes. And the government was ahead of it. And I thought, well, I really don't want to vote for restrictions. I, I, I share your view on the importance of business and, and how vital it was to get people uh, back to normal as quickly as possible. But on every occasion, the government was right. A second wave did happen. And just as we'd voted for the restrictions, you'd see the number of cases going up and, and obviously the number of lives being lost. So, you know, this wasn't this wasn't as straightforward as perhaps a simple report will will make. Perhaps not. And, and my view was that given the nightmare scenario, it was actually, you know, jobs were saved through the furlough scheme and the amount of money given to business. Yeah. And, and Britain is now the fastest growing country in the G7 as a result of some of that business support. So I, I, I'm more forgiving, perhaps, yeah. uh, on this. No, and, than, listen, that, than, and that's absolutely than, than fine. Many. But I would like to see that the lessons that we are always told are going to be learned are actually learned. And so as we go into winter, yeah. we don't suddenly see people wanting a passport um, vaccine passports being brought in people don't want to see uh, another lockdown being ordered and I think we just have to be a bit cleverer Well I think the first thing I would have uh, sharpened up on is the ability to close our airports yeah. and to monitor the health of people flying in and out of the UK because Heathrow is it's the number one airport almost in the whole world mm. and therefore our role as a medical policeman actually has global consequences so i think and it I was never closed i mean we, we, we knew for example last year was it not something like two million people came through two million people so uh, you know we could have made a difference and and that is an area where i think we could be a lot cleverer and more effective not just for the uk but for the whole world yeah absolutely right and certainly as far as the um uh, the next week or two is concerned um it's all leading up to this climate uh, conference in Glasgow, which, as you might expect, I'm not particularly in favour of. Uh, Vladimir Putin. I am. Uh, are you? Why? What's I the point of I having a conference to promise to do something that might never happen? Well, I think there's there's several things all going on at the same time. So the bit I don't like uh, is the the um, green agenda to tell you how to live your life, right. to make you pay more for gas because. The, um, the, the, the gas companies are being punished with punitive taxes because fossil fuels are not sustainable in the long term. That's the bit I don't like. I do like the idea that we should leave the planet in a better way than we found it. I do like the idea that we should be investing in technology to deliver a cleaner and better way of doing the same things. Uh, Can I add another done. word to that? Cheaper. Yes, please. Cheaper. Please. I'd like it cheaper, please. Yeah, I agree. Cheaper would be better. But but we will get there through technology. We will save the world through technological advances, through better use of what we do and the way we do it, and not by by enforcing a, a sort of um, 
communist style five year yeah. plans. Yeah, exactly. So, Green apartheid, so, I call it. <laughs> but the 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 reality is that we need to engage with the rest of the world because you can't do these things on your own. It's got to be a global effort. Mm. Because when you look at where the problems are, they aren't in the UK. The problems may have started here with the Industrial Revolution. I, I, I'll be the first to accept that. But at the end of the day, what India and China and America do matter. What Brazil does yeah. to the rainforest But I'm not going to make any apologies. So we, we've I'm got not, to talk to them. We've I'm not going to make any them. apologies, Bill, for being the most advanced country several centuries ago in the entire right. world. And the fact that we invented loads of stuff is a great thing. I'm not going to be saying sorry for it any time But soon. that's the answer to the problem as well. Yeah. So you're right not to apologise for it in some respects, but but we should acknowledge that technology is part of the problem, but it's also all of the solution. Yeah, very well said. Bill, thank you very much indeed, as ever. Bill Wiggin there, uh, talking sense, because here on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, it is the world headquarters of Common Sense. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Dr. Wakar Rashid, consultant neurologist, MS specialist, friend of the show here, of course, as well, because both The Times and The Telegraph this morning uh, lead on a story which I'm rather pleased to say I'd like to think we had some role in creating here at Talk Radio because we've been talking about the problems with GP's surgeries and the problems of patients trying to see GPs for a very long time. And it now appears that Sajid Javid, the health secretary, is going to tackle underperformance and insisting that patients must have the choice to see their GP face to face or else they they will face financial penalties uh, and they will be named and shamed. I think this is great. Uh, Dr. Waikar, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me on. Not at all. I mean, we've been talking about this for a long time on this show. Uh, as you probably know, we take calls on practice, certainly on a weekly basis, sometimes on a daily basis from people who have had difficulty in seeing GPs. I'll tell you what, lately, though, I'm, I'm getting annoyed by it. It's a sort of BMA line that's being punted out there that, you know, oh, I wish that, uh, you know, people would stop attacking medical professionals. You know, we're just trying to do our jobs and I don't, we don't know why politicians are always having a go at us. It's almost as if they think they should be treated differently to everybody else. I mean, everybody's got to be accountable, uh, not least uh, healthcare professionals. And uh, so that, um, and that's uh, always been the case, uh, uh, increasingly so rightly in recent years with uh, uh, more stringent uh, appraisal and revalidation, which again is absolutely right that uh, medical practitioners have to go through. So uh, I think, in, you know, it's so important that we are seen to do our jobs properly, and uh, given that we work directly with people, that uh, we are providing good service. So I don't really take that view. I I do though have some sympathy uh, for uh, general practitioners because they are hugely under-resourced in terms of numbers. Um, and I'm pleased that with the um, the guidance and the um, statements that have been put out by this health secretary that more money has been promised because uh, he, he, what will happen to try and deliver this, and it does need to be delivered in my opinion, is that they will need more people, which will mean uh, increased use of uh, additional hours, locum, yeah. doctors, etc. And that all costs money. So I'm pleased that there's been recognition that that, comes at a cost but i think it's a vital cost because that we do i personally believe and i don't think this is just in primary care and gps i don't i wouldn't hold gps particularly account because this is happening in hospitals as well that there's been a significant reduction in face-to-face appointments and i'm also pleased that they it seems as if they're going to relax the 
um, social distancing rules, which I think has been a real problem, an unnecessary problem, in my opinion, um, in, in certain of the rules, because it limits the number of people who can come to GP practices and hospitals, and it limits then the amount of face-to-face -face work that can be done. Sure. So overall, agreeable. Um, I think it, you know, obviously has to be worked out, but I, I'm pleased that this is happening. Yes. I mean, yeah. I think I think you're absolutely right in what you say, uh, Doctor, but I think part of the problem has been the COVID restrictions. I mean, it wasn't a perfect system before COVID, but certainly to be still even now talking about loosening the social distancing restrictions in hospitals and in some uh, GP surgeries, which are still not um, allowing people inside them, Seems crazy, doesn't it? Because it, everywhere else in, 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 the, in the economy, that's not being done. I mean, there's no more social distancing you know, at work. There's no more social distancing in restaurants or in bars or uh, on public transport. You know, everything's back to normal. So why can't hospitals be back to normal? So, uh, yeah, I'm, I think obviously hospitals are a place of greater risk of infection. And so there, there was always a reluctance. But there's no, there's no evidence to show that uh, this sort of two-metre rule within these places uh, um, has any effect on infection uh, control and so on. It, it's about if you are symptomatic, you stay at home. That's the, the most important advice one can give in terms of uh, COVID. But I mean, uh, just put it in perspective, I, I saw some figures that uh, currently at the moment uh, in primary care, there's uh, people are delivering 59% face-to-face appointments, GPs, compared to 80% in 2019. So we've got to understand why there has been this massive drop. I think the hospital figures will be similar. I think, uh, as I say, I don't excuse hospitals. I'm a hospital doctor and we do a lot. We're doing a lot more virtual appointments and I'm worried about that in the long term. I think short term and for certain transactional issues which are, are processed rather than diagnostic, but this is not a long term solution. Mm. And, uh, and so it must change, in my opinion. And, and so uh, the other counterpoint to this, and uh, something which um, I've tried to publicise a little bit from my Twitter feed and one or two others, is that we are continuing to see, and it seems to me that not enough is being said about this, uh, a, a continued excess deaths occurring at home. In the in the England and Wales, over 70,000 excess deaths since March 2020. Mm. And the figure for COVID in that, 12%. So right. over 70,000 excess deaths since March 2020 compared to previous averages and just 12% due to COVID. And that's telling you that the healthcare system, both from primary up to secondary care, is failing here uh, because of this. And it's having a direct impact, unfortunately, on people's health. Well, that's right. And we know for a fact, for example, that COVID is now no longer uh, the biggest threat to our health system or indeed to, to people's own uh, individual health. But I mean, the other problem, I think, is, is that it's all very well to say that social distancing had to be done in hospitals, but it didn't stop hospitals still being the primary source of all COVID infection, because the one place you were pretty much guaranteed to get COVID was in a hospital. So, I mean, despite the fact that they did the social distancing, it was still there anyway. So, you know, it, there's always an inevitability, you know, if you put people under one roof with infection, then it's going to become a source of infection. But again, it shows that some of these measures that were being used were not really having any impact. And so I'm glad they reviewed that to try and remove some of these because they are uh, an impediment to care. Now, nobody wants to, I think, return to waiting rooms where people are on top of each other coughing away. And I say, again, the most important thing that people can do if they are symptomatic of COVID is not to come. Um, rather than uh, limit numbers and uh, of people who have got 
conditions that have nothing to do with COVID and Im impacting on their care. Mm. So mm. I, it's a, I'm glad this has been reviewed and, uh, and it, it's taken too long, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, and I accept that uh, that people don't want to go back to what's called, you know, pre-COVID conditions. But let's face it, you know, doctor's surgeries were always pretty bad places. I spent a lot of time in them when I had young children because, you know, kids are always uh, in and out of doctor's places for one reason or another. Um, luckily, with you know, now they've, they've grown up, I'm, I'm a relatively healthy individual. I don't really spend any time in them. But, um, you know, it was always a place you didn't really ever want to go and sit. But that doesn't mean that you should then say to people, don't come if you're if you're sick. It seems bizarre, doesn't it? Yeah, I, 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 and again, I think we need to understand uh, what's going on there. I think uh, a lot of GP practices are pretty modern places, actually, and, yeah. and, and moved away from that, although there still are. And I think what probably is going on as well is that there are, and you see this in, in, in when people reporting and comments and so on, that there's some evidence of a place of really good practice and other places where it just isn't happening. And I think those places that where... Uh, services is still, you know, 18 months on, it's still not picked up. It need, There needs to be uh, an assessment as to why that is and how that can change because primary care is vital. I, you know, just to get across to you, if primary care is failing, then secondary care fails. Mm. So if there isn't the proper care going in, at, in GPs and all of the allied health professionals in the community, then uh, hospitals fail. Uh, I'm reliant on uh, my GP colleagues and, and community practitioners for everything that I do in terms of referrals to me and also putting in plans what I uh, advise to people who come to see me in clinic. And if that's failing, then nothing works. Yeah, that's right. And the point about doctor's surgeries as well is that they all seem to be run very differently. You know, there's no one size fits all kind of solution, is there? Because I get told from doctors who are trying to be um, uh, trying to explain what the problems are that either one some of them are run as businesses others are run by the NHS others are you know run with a big mortgage uh, running around the back some of some have got two to three thousand patients per GP you know it's almost like somebody should organize them better and take a big broom and sweep all the nonsense out of the way and say right this is a GP surgery this is how it works and this is how they should all work I you're looking at um, problems that are, have been endemic in the healthcare system for a number of years, of different politicians with different ideas, putting in different rules, and you, you get this sort of haphazard chaos and, and, and waste in certain areas. Uh, there's, it, in terms of the actual running of a lot of the health service, it, it is done on a relative shoestring with very few managers, but at the top, where there is constant change of policy, change of ideas, change of ideology, it, it, it creates um, inefficiency and, uh, and, and waste in that manner. And they, you just wish, and I certainly wish, that there would be some kind of consistent policy mm. and long-term mm. plan rather than um, an ideological plan which uh, is based on politicians who seem to have ideas which change and, and then move on to their next set of advisors and next set of politicians with further ideas. And it creates no consistency and, and it doesn't really shift the, the, the underlying problems. 
No, indeed. Well, let's hope it's a step in the right direction anyway. Uh, Dr. Wakar Rashid, thank you very much indeed. Consultant neurologist and MS specialist uh, talking to us there about uh, the Sajid Javid plan to basically name and shame any doctors who do not do their jobs properly, who do not see patients when uh, patients want to be seen and, and who simply are incapable uh, of pushing the proper NHS service in the way that it should be done. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk now, though, uh, about something rather interesting, because everyone's talking about William Shatner going up into space. It's all over the papers this morning. Uh, William Shatner, at the age of 90, has piled himself, hurled himself into the void, as they might have said in uh, the time of Flash Gordon, uh, with no idea of who or what he might meet out there. And there's this kind of uh, rather what I would call unseemly space race going on between the likes of Jeff Bezos uh, and Elon Musk, two of the world's wealthiest billionaires. Richard Branson's been involved in it as well. I think for 250,000 quid, you can get a seat on one of these things and you can go up into the space and talk about it to your friends. I'm not quite sure why people would do it. But Prince William uh, has come out today and basically said that, you know, uh, these people should do something else with their money. He basically says that uh, they've got the world's greatest brains. They should focus on saving the planet. Now, I'm not so sure... Uh, that I go along with his idea of saving the planet, because I'm not sure that us pathetic earthlings can do such a thing, because in the end, uh, you know, the planet is going to do what the planet is going to do, like volcanoes will volcano, as they say, down in the uh, the Canary Islands. What are you going to do? You're staring at that volcano that's spewing hot lava into the the air, uh, toxic, terrible... Um, you know, gases all over the place. That can't be good for the climate, can't be good for the environment. Far worse than anybody driving around uh, in a Range Rover around the M25. But let's talk now, though, to Jason Reid, head of Young Voices UK, because um, I think William's right. I'm going to find out whether he agrees with me. Jason, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Great to be back with you. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us. I mean, I'm not saying I, enjoy, I agree with every single part of what Prince William has said, but I think he's right. I think he's got a point when he says that these billionaires are simply kind of showing off, really, aren't they? And shouldn't they be doing something a bit more worthwhile? I don't agree. I think that kind of attitude would make technological progress impossible. It stands directly against innovation, which improves all of our lives. And we see this kind of thing all the time. You know, some ambitious young entrepreneur invents some new gadget that lets you, I don't know, turn the lights off with a remote control, and he's really happy about it. And then some uninvited busybody comes along and says oh why didn't you save the donkeys instead it's his money it's his time leave him alone yeah but he's not really innovating is he i mean i accept that uh, you know teslas are very good cars and uh, they're very expensive and i'm sure he's doing very well for himself but it's not really an innovation to fire yourself up into space uh, which is going to cost everybody so much money that they can't afford to do it and then come straight back down again they're not doing anything up there but by researching and by doing more practice runs, we're getting closer to a point where everyone can afford it. That's the whole point. Everyone said that the Wright brothers were bonkers for inventing the aeroplane. And now air travel is the great leveler. And I think it's one of the one of humanity's best ever achievements is we've got to a point where people can afford to go on holiday every summer to Spain, even if they're um, working class, not earning a huge amount of money. And space travel might well be the same in a few decades time if it goes wrong. It's only Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and Richard Branson who have wasted their money. So we've got nothing to lose. I say go for it. Yeah, but I mean, the point about the Wright brothers, and I'm not sure you're right to say that everybody castigated them, because, I mean, when you uh, when you were living at that time, you couldn't fly anywhere. You didn't, nobody could, could go anywhere. You couldn't hop across to Dublin in a plane because there was no such thing. So I can't imagine that people wouldn't have wanted that because it was a new experience. But travelling 
is not now uh, difficult unless you happen to uh, uh, live in a country where Britain, uh, like Britain, uh, you can't actually go anywhere without having had a vaccination. But I mean, going up into space just for the sake of it, it's not exactly... I'm not sure until somebody, I suppose, uh, creates some kind of virtual world where you can go uh, and do anything you want and have a great holiday because it's all kind of virtual and it's all been made up and it's all been created for you. Um, I'm not going, frankly. Well, you don't have to go. That's your choice. But I quite like to go if it becomes uh, accessible within my lifetime, which I think seems likely if, it, if we continue down this road. I think the problem with what Prince William is saying is that he's He's effectively just in favour of virtue signalling. He'd rather that Jeff Bezos talked a lot about the trees and about plastic straws and didn't really make any actual progress with technology and innovation. But technology and innovation improve all of our lives. They've improved our quality of life. They make it possible for us to get richer, for us to get happier. Um, and there are lots of people in the world, I'm sure, who would love to go up um, into space and maybe do some Mars tourism. The, the possibilities are endless. Yeah, I suppose so. But, you know, it just does seem a little self-indulgent, doesn't it? And, I mean, I sort of want Prince William to be a bit stuffy. You know, I'd rather him uh, say what he said rather than have him be sort of, you know, oh, we're all down with the kids, or maybe could I go, please, next? That's true. Prince William probably as part of the royal family isn't the right person to be uh, following William Shatner into Jeff Bezos' rocket. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, this kind of technology, it's, I think it's a good thing for everyone. I think you're right that Elon Musk and those kinds of people probably aren't the most pleasant people in the world. There's a lot of egoism going on. They're competing with each other. But if you think back to the last space race we had with um, the Cold War and mutually assured destruction and all of that, this is far preferable to that. In this case, it's a few billionaires competing against each other in the leaderboard of who's got the most money and who's uh, achieved the most things in terms of getting into space and, and perfecting the technology, there's much, much less at stake because it's just it's the private sector. It's not our money going into it. Um, and so there's a huge amount of potential reward here and, and no cost for you and me, as far as I can see. Yeah. Uh, what about the aliens, though, Jason? Because obviously there is the question of, you know, what's out there? Well, you never know. I mean, the universe is a big place. We've not been to much of it. Maybe they've got a solution to to the environmental problems we've got. Maybe they've got a solution to pandemics. We don't know. Let's go and find out. Yeah, but also there might be something horrible out there as well. You know, they might, I mean, we talk about COVID. I mean, imagine if they brought back uh, some kind of vile, ghastly, you know, sort of very, very infectious killer disease. Well, that would serve us right for going beyond... Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> you see, they haven't even thought of that. And I mean, I didn't they take a William Shatner because he used to play a spaceman. I mean, what's the point of that? I think it's great. I think the aliens would feel... Sorry for us, if anything, they'd want to um, they'd want to help us. Who wouldn't want to help us, Mike? So are you signing up for this nonsense then, Jason? Are you get putting your name on the dotted line? I am fully up for it. I, I must admit, I don't have the money to do it at the moment, but maybe in a few decades' time, mm. when it becomes a bit more accessible, costs the same as a... Uh, you know, a flight to Mars costs the same as a flight to Spain. Count me in. Yeah. Well, I mean, it might be the other way around. It might be that the travel to, 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 to Europe becomes so expensive, it's actually costing the same to go to Spain as it does to go to Mars. But that's another another thought for you. Jason, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Jason Reed there uh, says he doesn't agree with me. He thinks Prince William is wrong to criticise uh, Messrs Bezos and the rest because, in fact, uh, they are doing something very cool, uh, which we should all be very grateful for. I just think it's a bit mad. I just think it's a bit self-indulgent. I mean, you know, it's not like I really do care about it, but surely there are other things they could be doing instead of wasting gazillions of dollars on firing themselves into space for five minutes and coming back down again. It doesn't seem to be doing any good to me. Maybe you think uh, that I'm now an idiot. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
Now, uh, I'm about to introduce you to Dr. Sebastian Gorka. And Sebastian, I think even for me, uh, that was a pretty impressive opening. I, w- I was just about to say, Mike, <laughs> you better bloody clip that. And that better become the pre-roll for everything on talk radio. Because that description of what you guys are, what you stand for. And let me just add the use of perspicacity as an adjective for your favorite <laughs> guest. Right. Uh, it's just superb. Oh, and by the way, let me just add one more thing. A little doff my cap, round of applause that you have made those cretins, those imbeciles that insulate UK stand out. So bravo, yes. the freedom fighters in the UK. Well, you know what? Listen, I tell you what, they're taking 10 days off. Um, I'm not quite <laughs> sure why, but I, I think the fact that some of the good people of London uh, who decided to just try dragging them off the streets by the, by themselves instead of waiting for the woke police <laughs> to do it. I think Just the expressions, Mike, on their faces. It's these gormless gits as the truckers just pick them up and right. just shift them. It was priceless. Absolutely fantastic. Brilliant stuff. Now, listen, um, I've been saying all day, uh, looking forward to having you coming on, Sebastian, because for a very long time, we've all been saying, where's Kamala Harris going? <laughs> what, what does she never say? She never seems to say anything, doesn't do anything. Now that she has finally said something, I rather wish she hadn't. Um, she is, this woman who is within a hair's breadth of becoming the president of the United States, Yeah. She is a cataclysm on legs. She is a walking disaster, a charismatic black hole. I mean, the fact that this woman hasn't done anything, despite the fact she was appointed, Mike, as the person responsible for the border, okay, by Sleepy Creepy Joe. A border which is now totally... You guys worry about the migrants coming across on the boats. We have an open border with two million illegal immigrants that are going to cross this calendar year. One bridge in Texas, in Del Rio, had 12,000 illegals under it. The party that says they care for minorities, they care for women. Mike, there were 300 pregnant Haitian women under that bridge living in in, in just subhuman third world. Squalor. I mean, just stench and squalor because, hey, the Democrats, they they love the little guy and they love women and they love minorities. And now this video with... Do you remember... You're about the same age as me. You remember the Adam West Batman TV series? Yes, I do. So they always had the super villains. You had the Joker. You had the Riddler. The Penguin. Kamala... Yeah, the penguin. Kamala is the cackler, okay? (laughs) This is a woman who gets off a plane in South Asia, is asked about the 13 U.S. servicemen and women murdered in Kabul by suicide bombers, and she cackles! She laughs! Unbelievable. And, and, And now they're giving her a scripted puff piece with kids, and we find out, Mike, that the kids are actors. Three of them were were actually auditioned for this propaganda piece about nasa because she's the president of the space council as well it tells you the whole thing is a sham it's a potemkin village this administration is a disaster and it's actually a charade on top of that well i'm very uh, very much taking a a leaf out of tony blair's book there because you remember when he marched triumphantly up downing street in 1997 and everybody went look how pleased the world is look how we've got a young Prime Minister with children. It turned out they were all signed up members of the Labour Party who had come from the party uh, down the road at the People's Palace uh, where they'd been drinking champagne all night like true socialists, you know. And they're all welcoming him <laughs> up there like, you know, suddenly it's a new dawn. Well, no, they're all, it's like having your, your own supporters lining the streets and pretending they're not. 
Let, let me let me tell you one. I'm going to break news right now on your show on the Independent Republic of Migraine on Talk Radio. Uh, us in the America First Trump team, the people in the White House serving the Make America Great Again agenda. I guarantee you this: not once in four years did we have to hire any actors okay right. uh, when, when 60,000 people would, would fill a stadium at nil minutes notice because President Trump my old boss was coming to town guess what every single one of them was there because they love this nation yes. and they love what the administration stands for it tell it, that that is that is the epitome of populist politics where the forgotten men and women are represented the this old man you know it he hid in a basement for yeah. six months this senile non-compassmentist creepy old git hid in a basement <laughs> he could, there was one event i'm sure you saw this one there's one event where they painted circles on the tarmac of where you were allowed to stand right they couldn't fill six circles not 600 not six they couldn't fill six <laughs> circles of supporters for sleepy creepy joe yeah. i mean I, unless right. this is the guy we're supposed to believe had 80 million people voting for him right but they couldn't go oh, out right they were all can, hiding can I, inside look, let me just this thing about oh you're a conspiracy theorist if you think the election wasn't stolen let, let me let me talk to you about real evidence i don't care about these uh, outre spurious discussions of uh, algorithms and voting machines how about this one mike are you seriously telling me that a senile machine politician of 47 years, an old white politician, got more votes than the first black president? If you believe that, you're smoking something yeah. and it ain't tobacco. Well, you might have I'm to ask, uh, I might ask his son Hunter about uh, that, <laughs> of any kind of psychotropic <laughs> drugs being ingested. But uh, I was talking, Well, at least he's had a new use for those I was talking to. Uh, I was talking to right? a good friend, Lawrence Fox, uh, this week. He was in for Plank of the Week and he's playing Hunter Love Biden Lawrence. in a movie. I know, we want to get Lozer on. I mean, what a great choice. I'm I know. not sure what, what, what it's going to do for his reputation. but He doesn't care. He doesn't care. That's why we love him. Yeah. That's why we love him. Right. He now calls himself a political jihadi, which is brilliant. <laughs> right. He says, I'm never going to get elected. I'm just going to cause a lot of trouble for people. And that's brilliant for me. I mean, and that is. And, 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 and I said to him, how are they going to be able to make a film about this guy? Because of all the stuff that he's doing. And is there any legal problems? He said, that's the first question I asked them. And they said, not a problem at all. Absolutely no problem. Uh, we're going to do everything we want, because guess what? We're not trying to push it through a Hollywood studio. We're just going to put it out there. Well, look, it's already out there. The, the laptops from hell, the two laptops that he left at that computer repair place that they've tried to deny are his. Guess what? Hey, Hunter, when your lawyers actually demand to get the laptops back, I think it means that those are your laptops. When the footage, God bless the Daily Mail, I mean, seriously, why does it take a British newspaper, not an American one, yeah. to show us the video footage, the prostitutes, yeah. the, the cocaine, and on top of that, flipping hell, Mike, the fact that the, his voicemails, his phone conversations are on the laptops where he says, yes. and I'll edit it for your for, for, Thank for, you. you know, Please do. Sake. He says, I'm in business with the effing chief spy of communist China. That's, that's the son of the most powerful man in the world. Yeah. So it's all out there, but God bless Loza, can't wait to see the movie. Yes. I mean, he's the kind of guy that in the old days when I was in Fleet Street, you'd go, well, let's see if he sues us because we'd love to see him in court denying all this stuff that we've got on him, you know?
Well, and disclosure. If you go to court, you've got to disclose it yeah. all, dude. Yeah. Bring it. Now, let's stadium. go back to Kamala, right? Because yes. she's apparently blaming your ancestors and mine uh, for completely uh, ripping up America, colonizing it, killing everybody and taking over. I mean, uh, Columbus Day apparently to her doesn't exist, right? Yeah. So um, let, let's add a little piquancy here. Uh, somebody did some research. Uh, Kamala Harris's ancestors, like in Jamaica, owned slaves. They were big slave owners. Okay, Harris's ancestors. So this is the last person that should be lecturing anybody about colonialism and mm. imperialism. Yeah. Uh, let's put that to one side. Um, you're a truth teller. I'm a truth teller. Western civilization is the greatest civilization the world has ever seen. Yeah. She's got problems with Western civilization, then I guess she's got problems with modern medicine, representative democracy, the industrial revolution, uh, rights for women, rights for ethnic minorities. Go and check out, oh, I don't know, Afghanistan after your boss surrendered and get back to me about other civilizations and how great they are. Yeah. This is self-flagellation. This is this is born of self-hatred. Mm. And this came to me last week it, like a bolt from the blue. I realized, you know what what the dividing line in in America is? Who are the people who hate my old boss? Mm. I mean, really have this neuralgic detestation of Donald Trump. Yeah. It's the same people who hate America. Yeah. It's very simple. Yeah. If you hate if you hate what America stands for, if you hate freedom, individual rights, then you're going to hate Donald Trump. And this is just another person who hates America. And how weird, how perverse is it that people like Biden and Kamala who hate America want to end up running it? Isn't yes. that a little bit twisted, Mike? It is very twisted and not just running it, uh, changing it, right? Because what right. we now have in the Democratic Party uh, is the sort of the shell uh, of a lefty communist organisation that would like to change the way that America operates. I mean, how ludicrous is it uh, and un-American is it to try and give everybody free money or to return, you know, student loans to people because there's no reason to pay them back? That's ridiculous, isn't it? Last month, okay, this this is shocking. This is the man who said he's going to unite America, get us back on our feet after COVID, which, by the way, uh, you know, whether you take the vaccines or not is, is irrelevant. I heard your intro. Yeah. I, I had COVID. I'm never taking the vaccine. I've got more antibodies than any vaccine could give me. Uh. You're going to have to arrest me and tie me down to inject me to give me the to <laughs> Well, he'd probably, the, the, he'd probably quite like to do that old uh, Beijing <laughs> Biden. You know, that'd be the next <laughs> Yeah, right. Don't, we shouldn't give him any ideas. Yeah. Look, at the, at the end of the day, who made those vaccines? Who made them possible in 12 months? A businessman, okay? Yeah. So th this is what we need. We need a businessman right now. Why? Four million people decided in August to resign, to leave their jobs. We need America back on its feet. Yeah. We, we've got, get, I spoke about this on my radio show yesterday. We've got 100 super cargo ships off the port of Los Angeles, a hundred just sitting there because we don't have people to unload them on the docks because they prefer to sit at home, get their government check, and guess what? Little Timmy isn't going to get his action man for Christmas because uh, Joe just is handing out free money. Yeah. Well, that's the trouble, you know, because people get used to having free money. They don't want to do anything. I mean, we've got the most ludicrous situation here where civil servants are all working from home. 
And they're not coming back because nobody seems to be able to make them. The DVLA, which is where we get our driving licenses from. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, you send them <laughs> off for a, for a new license. You'll be lucky to get it back next year, about August, you know, because uh, and now they're talking about going on strike, right? And you're going, sorry, how would we know whether you were on strike? You're already <laughs> useless, doing nothing, and, and you're getting paid by the, the public purse. And it's an unbelievable situation. But the other thing I was hearing, um, Sebastian, as well, is the homeless problem in America is now absolutely unbelievable. I was speaking to our correspondent in uh, San Diego the other day, and apparently the whole canyons in California are full of these kind of tented villages of thousands and thousands of homeless people. Mike, forget California, which, by the way, was the most beautiful state of the union 60 years ago. I mean, people flocked there because it was a paradise. What, you mean after it was colonised by the Europeans? (laughs) <laughs> right after it was colonized by the rascally Europeans. Yes. California now has more than 50% of all our homeless. One state. One state has more than 50%. And Mike, we've got to get you over here. You've you got to come back to, to Washington. You've got to come back yeah. to D.C. I'm coming for it's Christmas. Here. Superb. It's here. Hang on. You, you walk outside. You're in the beautiful federal capital, the Washington Monument. We have 10 cities in the midst of of the government quarter yeah. because uh, Democrats. I mean, it's, it's insanity. It looks like Calcutta, yeah. but you're in the capital of the richest, most powerful yeah. nation in the world. And that's not on me. It's not on President Trump. That's on the Democrats. Yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? And I'm told that 7th Avenue around Penn Station in Manhattan is like a scene from that movie that Kurt Russell was in, Escape from New York. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. you know it's not a movie anymore. It's for real. No, it is. It's a, it's a cross between Escape from New York and, and uh, you know, the, 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 the one about the virus, uh, I Am Legend. Right? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. Yeah. The end of days. Again, yeah. Again, Manhattan, not my cup of tea, but a great city. I mean, a great city. Fantastic city. And now, now it's a dystopian nightmare. Mark. Right. Absolutely. And I've got it on pretty good authority, Sebastian, from one or two people uh, who know about these things, that Joe Biden now uh, is only really uh, able to do work between certain hours of the day. And they have oh. to kind of load him up, uh, prop him up. He does something for a few hours and he goes for a lie down. And then he does sort of anything in the evening. I Because I worry that when he was making those speeches about Afghanistan, he looked to me like a guy who had been given something, you know, like pepped oh. up somehow. It's without a shadow of a doubt. We, we noticed this in the first few months. Yeah. He never, ever gave a live. He, he, didn't, he doesn't do press conferences. I mean, just, no. he's rolled out there on, on wheels and stood in front of a teleprompter and he reads. He never did one past 6.30 at night. Why, why is that? My old boss, he slept two hours a night. When People used to ask me, hey, who's really tweeting at 4 a.m. on the president's account? I said, are you serious? It's not me. Right. It's President Trump. OK, he's working all hours. God sends him. And you can see Biden just disappears. He, he takes his Horlicks at about 6 p.m. and then disappears. And you've seen it when, when he comes up there and gives a speech they, they, they jab him with something. He, he, you know, he gets his you know, Lucas aid in him and then he's off and rolling for about 20 minutes before he has to take a nap again. This is the man who is 20 feet away from the nuclear football yeah. that could initiate third world war and launch our weapons. I mean, this it's, it's scary. I mean, he might set it off in his sleep. <laughs> you say, what is that? Yeah. What is that suitcase over there? Honey, you know, I thought it was the uh, I thought it was the bell for, you know, my medication. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I've hit the nuclear trigger. <laughs> I mean, it's Becker's belief, though, doesn't it? 
not only that, did you see the story talking about Potemkin villages and the, you know, the, the, the actors hired for the oh-so-charismatic tackling Kamala video? Uh. Did you see that when he got his second jab, they, they pretended it was in the White House, right. but it was actually in a fake White House, mm. in a studio across the street in the Eisenhower building? Yes. Hang on a second. What? Why do you do that? You, you've got the Oval Office. You've got the White House. Does he have to be closer to the medical team? I mean, we, we have the, the, the surgeons in the basement of that building. Does he have to be closer to his, you know, his Horlicks, uh, yeah. you know, intravenous? Well, What's going on there, Mike? And is that the same thing? Because I read about this, that uh, when he's doing his addresses to the nation as well now, he's not. It's, it's a fake Oval Office. I mean, why would you want to fake the Oval Office, for heaven's sake? I mean, I've been in the Oval Office. I've worked in the Oval Office. It's even cooler than the movies, but they had to make a fake one. Right. It makes you scratch your head, doesn't it? Just Do you know a what? Little? How about this for a theory? Maybe he's in Walter Reed Memorial, right? <laughs> and he's actually hooked up to all these, you know, life-saving pieces of equipment, and he's not in the White House at all. <laughs> He's like, he's like Darth he's Vader. Gonna, you know, he's, gonna, he's, he's got a green screen uh, in, the, in the operating theatre, you know? Don't, don't, encourage, don't encourage the conspiracy theorists, but there is something very strange going on here. You know, there is an interview. Uh, I'm going to send you the clip right. where he said during the campaign, um, what happens if he gets into a Barney with, with the cackler, with Kamala? What happens if they have a disagreement? And this is what he said, word for word, Mike. He said, just like my agreement with Obama, oh, yeah. if we get into a big disagreement on policy, I'll just invent a condition and retire. What? What did you just say? You're, you're going to fake being ill right. and you'll you'll retire? He said that during the campaign trail. That. Isn't yeah. that a little bit creepy? Well, everything's creepy about creepy. I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> now, listen, it's been a pleasure, Sebastian, as ever. Your uh, great uh, first America First show uh, is on uh, Newsmax, right? You can get it. No, yeah, the, the, the radio show is on uh, Salem Radio. Sorry. You just go to sedgorka.com, sedgorka.com. And every week I have the Gorka Reality Check on Newsmax, and you can download the app and you can watch it. But more importantly, Mike, are we going to have a jar this Christmas? Well, I'd love to. I've got to come and see my mother, and she's in Connecticut. So if I can get, oh, da if I can get down to D.C. not too far. It's not yeah. too far. I don't know if you're anywhere near uh, relatives up there or anything like that, because I'm not sure I'm going to be allowed out of the house once I'm there, because she's, <laughs> she's very protective of me. And uh, yeah, she we'll, hasn't we'll seen me for two years. But we'll, f we'll figure something out for sure. But we'll talk before then anyway. Yes. Sebastian Gorka, America First. Uh, it's a radio show. It's a podcast. Uh, he's also got TV show uh, on Newsmax. He's a great man. He's one of our fellow travellers here at Talk Radio. Common sense personified. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Brown. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.